This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. If you were a father and you had multiple children and you had to go out of the country for a few years and so you appointed one of your children to manage your funds and to watch over the other children to keep them healthy and safe. As a father, you would expect that the child that you appointed would do exactly as you yourself would do for your children. If you had given the other children amounts of money and provisions of food and work and other means to survive, and you asked them to make sure that the one appointed had enough money to take care of the other children and to give to the one appointed, you would expect the other children to give. And if you had laid down specific rules for exactly how that money was to be managed, and you explained each and every rule to the child you appointed, you would expect him to follow those rules. First, you would ask the appointed child to make sure that none of the other children went hungry. And you would ask him to make sure that none of the other children went without. First and foremost, they must survive while you're away. During the course of a few years, you know that there's a chance of hardship. And you know that some of the children might struggle from time to time. And so you ask the appointed child to make sure that they do not struggle. And you make sure that they're sufficiently given enough so that they can live peaceful lives because you do not want your children to worry about money. You know that you have very hardworking children and that they will need some time off for rest and relaxation because you yourself would like to have some time off for rest and relaxation. So you give them enough money so that they can take their much needed rest and you give instructions to the child appointed so that he can take that money and he can disperse it as needed so that people could take rest. Also, you are a very observant father. <clears throat> you realize that the amount of money that is entrusted to this one appointed child is quite a bit of money. 
So you tell him that he should only be in charge of it for a few months and then pass the torch. And when the torch is passed, all of the money, save the little portion that is due the child that was appointed, all the money in that portion should be given back to the other children. This way, you keep the finances of your children balanced. And you have no one set up who is going to rise to become a rich tycoon. Just to be safe, you instruct the one during his appointed time that he is not to become attached to the money and not to spend it on anything else other than helping the children. If you were to return after your period of being away from the family, and you find that the first child that was appointed was not only still overseeing the funds, but he was ignoring most of the rules that you had given him. You would turn very, very angry. And when you noticed that he had became wealthy while all of the other children struggled, you would become fierce. How do you think our Heavenly Father feels about the children that he has appointed when he sees what has happened in this cult of William Branham and other cults like it. There was a reason why these cults taught the Old Covenant. There's a reason for it. And there's a reason why the Old Covenant tithing system has infiltrated the churches. The one that Paul called obsolete the Old Covenant, is partially still in effect. You see, to push their greedy agendas, that is the first piece of the puzzle. The first thing that we must understand is that the entire Old Testament describes the fall of mankind through Adam, and the law was introduced because of Adam's sin. And since then, the prophets, the prophets described that a Redeemer would come and fulfill that law and then lift the curse. <clears throat> Similar to the way that the Father in this example created the rules to teach His children correction and instruction, God said to Moses, I'm going to give you the law. And God gave the set of instructions while He is away from us. To Christians today, Many of these laws would not even make any sense. We would never stone our sons for disobeying. That's part of the Old Covenant law. We would train them with love instead. Our pastors do not need to wash their hands in a brass basin before entering our churches, as the priests did in the old temples. Our sacrifice has already been made through Jesus Christ, so they have no requirement for the sacrifice remaining clean on a physical altar. But that's part of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant that contained the tithing system. Once Jesus Christ came to die for all of us, grace repra replaced law. The law is written into our hearts and not all of the laws because some of these laws only apply to the Old Covenant. 
The law is written on our hearts, and the greatest law is love. <clears throat> Divine love filled each and every law that are now required from us, from the most simple and minor to the greatest instruction of them all. If you love other men and women, you will not kill them. Love does not allow you to steal from them. Love will not allow you to bear false witness against them. Jesus told the Pharisees that there were two great commandments, and they went hand in hand. First, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind and all thy soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Those that do not fit within these commandments, such as stoning your child for wrongdoing, are no, no longer required under the law of grace, the covenant of grace. Yet these cults are pushing the old covenant law because it's more profitable. And when I say profitable, I'm using profitable with an F, not a PH. You might, un you might ask yourself, how does this guy know this? He can't know my pastor's intentions. He can't know my wonderful pastor, how my pastor extends his loving arms to help the poor. Well, you'd be shocked at how many of your pastors I do know. But, you see, while that loving pastor is extending public arms, he is privately ignoring the rest of the instructions, just as the child in this example. He's completely ignoring the parts of the Old Covenant that talk about giving it back. How he should never become attached to it, or even to spend it on himself unless needed for survival. He's not telling you that part. And there's only one reason why a man would lie to you about still being under the old covenant, which Paul said was replaced with the new covenant. There's only one reason why he would lie to you and then break all of the other covenants, which he knows because he's read his Bible, break all of them, just to benefit himself. There's only one reason. That reason is greed. How many cult pastors have you seen that are so fat they can hardly breathe? How many? How many of you looked and thought, well, that guy could die during the middle of this sermon because simply because of his cholesterol? How many remember William Branham's son shaking his head back and forth like an elephant's trunk? saying, I'm not an old man yet, by golly. Prophet said it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. And he'd shake his head back and forth, and his second and his third chin would follow. How many remember that? And yes, in case you have not realized, he is an old man. He's past being an old man, and California is still standing. Leviticus 27.30 tells us that tithe is not the pastor's. While the cult will tell you the tithe is the pastor's, the tithe is owned by the Lord. Leviticus 27.30 tells us, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It is not holy to the back pocket of some guy who's shaking his chin and his third and second and third chin follow. When you consider the Old Testament, and you consider the growth of humankind on the face of the earth, 
This system makes sense. The tithe was used for increase. It wasn't that they had to struggle to come up with that 10%. It was tithed on their increase. And the children of God gave tithes in the temples for the priests, and the high priests were supposed to use the tithes according to the purpose of God, not according to the purpose of the back pocket. Tithing in the Old Testament was not to increase the wealth of the priest. It was not only supplying for those who were attending the temple because they were the little bride, but it was provisions to those in need. The Bible mentions tithing as provisions for the Levite, for the stranger, for the orphan, for the widow. King David, he set aside offering to build the great temple. His use of the gold, silver, bronze, and timber were given <clears throat> as a tribute to God while David was living, but God had a greater purpose for the temple. The tithes were not simply given in gold. Fields and animals and grains and fruit and more were dedicated to the Lord. And every seven days, no person was to labor. Unlike the churches of today who they go out to a restaurant so they don't labor in front of their stoves, and instead they let somebody else do the laboring for them. The people in the Old Testament also honored those that would be preparing the food. There would be no restaurant serving food because there would be no workers to tend them. The Sabbath was not just the seventh day. Seven times a year, a festival, festival called High Sabbath was honored. And in, during that time, the entire week was free from labor. Every seventh year was called the Sabbath year, in which the entire culture did not tend the fields for the entire year. <clears throat> and the 49th year was the year of Jubilee, which represents the new birth. And they did not tend their fields for an entire year, nor did they plant during the second year. And had the people not given their tithes, they would be absolutely starving unto the point of death during the times of Sabbath. Had the priest not given it back to the people, those people would have starved. Most of the tithe, and I say most, of the tithe was given back to the people, save just that little bit that the priest held to live on and not in the lap of luxury. Imagine if a Branhamite cult pastor were to be the priest during that day. You can give all your money to me, but you can fend for yourselves during the Jubilee while I ride Cadillac Camel or Lincoln Llama. <laughs> in the Old Testament, it was not just money that was given. There was a strict code that was followed. They valued slaves placing a male to be worth 50 shekels of silver, female slaves valued at 30, a young adult from 5 to 20 years. They, they gave slaves, they gave help and workers. Then, old men and old women were valued at 15 and 10 shekels, respectively, because they could work less and help less, right? An animal could be offered unto the Lord, but it must be a good, clean animal, one that is approved by the by the priest. 
Houses were dedicated as tithe unto the Lord. The priest would come and value the house as if good or bad to make sure that the people weren't saying, well, I don't want this thing anymore. I'll just give it to God. The priest would go value it, and if it was considered to be good, then it was acceptable to the Lord. If the person was too poor, 10% was not even required. Think of that, and I'm going to repeat that. If the person was too poor, 10% was not required. The priest would determine how much they were able to give according to their situation. Also, some of the tithes could be redeemed. In other words, you could give it to the priest, but you could also ask for it back if you needed it back. But they were required to give an additional fifth of the value of that tithe. The land, or part of it, could be given for tithe, but it was valued according to the seed that it produced. Certain seed was valued more than other seed. And it was valued according to the year of Jubilee because its purpose, once given unto the Lord, its purpose was to be given back to the people during the year of Jubilee. All of these things were given value according to how much it would provide for the children of Israel and not <laughs> the priest. The tithe offering was given to the priest to be consecrated as holy unto the Lord. It was held until times of Sabbath and the years of Jubilee. And during the times that the people needed it, the tithe was used to provide for those who gave it unto the Lord. But not only them, also the poor, the needy, the stranger. The priest had only a small portion that he held. The priest did not labor in the fields. He labored for the Lord. He did not set up side businesses. He did not invest in the stock market of that day. He did not start up construction companies or scroll bookstores. The tithe offering was held by the priest to live on, not for profit. The tithe given to the priest was not allowed to increase. The tithe offering was held for him to live on with the full intent that one day, <clears throat> one day it would be given back to the people. Malachi 3 is the last time that tithing is commanded in the Bible. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be a little meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you a blessing, then there shall not be room to receive it. In the New Testament, things are different. The Old Covenant has been lifted. The curse of the law has been lifted. And the New, the new Covenant <clears throat> has been signed, sealed, and delivered with the blood of Jesus Christ. When Paul speaks about money, he speaks about <clears throat> money given to the glory of the Lord. And he speaks of giving, cheerful giving, not tithing. Because the tithing system had multiple parts that the pastors are hiding from you. You gave, you received. But Paul says there's a better way. Paul speaks of cheerful giving. 2 Corinthians 9-7, he says that God loves a cheerful giver. <clears throat> 
A cheerful giver is somebody who gives because their heart is fully devoted to God and they love. It's <coughs> someone who has divine love and gives from the goodness of his or her heart, not somebody who's struggling and can barely make ends meet and the pastor's coming down on it. If you don't give your 10%, God is not going to bless you. That's not the way it works. Some churches of today have accepted the New Testament. They have accepted the fact that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law and that divine love has now became the law of today that's written in our hearts. Others, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they remained focused on those old laws. And not the old laws as a whole, because our current culture does not even allow it. And not the old laws in their entirety, because it's not profitable when you have to give your money back to the other children. Like the Pharisees of old, they pick and they choose what laws of that old covenant fits their purpose. That's what the Pharisees were doing when Jesus arrived. They pick and they, they choose which old covenant laws that are going to fill their pockets and give them double chins. They've chosen to abide by the old law of just 10%, but they've left off the part where it's given back to the people. They've also left off the part where it was 10% of the increase. They have chosen to take that portion that is allotted to them and then keep the portion that was supposed to be given back to those who gave it to them in the first place. Many would never today accept animals as an offering, yet the very laws that they try to uplift in order so they can fill their own pockets, the very laws shows us that tithing was for sustenance. How many of you would walk up to your pastor's house and say, here's a goat, <laughs> use it well for our people. Quite frankly, he'd probably turn you from his door. But in these cult churches, these cult tabernacles, they're most of them called, the money that the other children contribute are not given back to them. These people... They contribute their money to the pastors, not even willingly, sometimes forcibly. And by forcibly, I mean forcibly in a spiritual plane. If you don't give it, something bad's going to happen. If you don't give it, God's not going to bless you. If you don't give me your money, you're not supporting the cause of God. But in these cult churches, they're not given back to the community that they live in even. In the Old Covenant law, it was given back. It was a blessing, to the not just to this little group, but to everybody. They wanted everybody who came to that group to see how blessed they were because of God. And instead, in these cult churches, we have people who come to the church and they see how blessed that pastor is because of God. Tell me there's balance in that. Some of these churches... And these pastors have set up offshore accounts. And these offshore accounts are flowing back into the headquarters slowly over time so that they can continue for what they think is unnoticed. 
But what the money machine does not realize is that there are ways to notice the many offshore accounts that are funding their locomotive of lies. It's not hidden. The Bible says everything hidden will be revealed, everything hidden will be known. So, to the organization who thinks that nobody knows about these offshore accounts, I'm not the only one who knows. My question for you is this. If the pastor leaves out portions of the Word of God and not teaching them to you just so that he can get fat off of your ignorance, how do you know that he's not leaving off other portions of the scriptures for some other unknown purpose? Wouldn't you rather read your own Bibles and study it in its entirety than just the limited portion that these pastors are telling you for their own benefit? That's the question I'll leave you with.